Okay. So hello, everybody. This is episode eight of the Redefine Health Ed podcast. I'm your host, Katie Obright. And tonight we're going to be talking all things cannabis and what patients and the general public and healthcare professionals need to know about cannabis um, as it becomes more mainstream and more legal and more um, generally accepted in our culture and society in America. So I'm kind of excited to talk about this because it's it's one of those topics that is still considered a little bit taboo in healthcare and in medicine. And, um, but there's a lot of people, patients especially, who are interested in learning more about it. And in turn, healthcare professionals also need to know that much more about it. Um, so I am very, very excited to introduce um, Drs. Lori Zucker and Dr. Ellen, uh, Dr. Ellen Anderson. And um, we're gonna get started by talking about um, they have collectively um, came up, um, collectively developed uh, Yogi Anatomy, which they started, and you guys can tell me more about this because I'm probably going to butcher it, um, but they started a uh, continuing education programming for individuals that wanted to learn more about, um, about yoga and about anatomy um, together, and then and I kind of want to know what the evolution of, of that was from there to now you have a, a company or a, a website called PT Cannabis Info. Um, so I'm going to introduce them. Um, so I'll start with uh, Dr. Zucker. Dr. Lori Zucker maintains a private physical therapy practice and is an adjunct instructor at Rutgers. Uh, Lori's practice is known for integrating complementary uh, therapies into the traditional practice of physical therapy. She teaches continuing education courses for rehab professionals, highlighting complementary ways to approach patient treatment, including understanding cannabis. Uh, and Dr. Ellen Anderson uh, has been a physical therapist and geriatric clinical specialist for over 25 years and, and is an associate professor of physical therapy at Rutgers. Dr. Anderson's work has focused on the promotion of physical therapy and lifestyle management for special populations, including those with mental illness and developmental disabilities. She's interested in how cannabis may be able to help people uh, manage barriers to a productive life. So without further ado, I just really want to hear from you guys. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. I appreciate it. We're happy to be here. Yeah. So, um, I'll kind of start with, um, with you, Lori, if you want to just tell me however, how things started, how did, first of all, how did you and Lori meet? How did you guys come to know one another? So actually I'm going to let Ellen start and give the background story of how we met and how we came together and then we'll develop it further. So Ellen, you go. Yeah. So, uh, I invited Lori to be a teaching assistant at Rutgers uh, in a course that I teach therapeutic exercise. And I think at about the same, it, it, somewhere along the line, the two of us began to find yoga. Um, and we decided that we should play a little bit. So we would get together and talk about what we were learning and think about the therapeutic applications of yoga. And from that, we each went in kind of our own separate ways, but we ended up both teaching anatomy for yoga teacher training. And so Laura, go ahead and take it from there. But so we were, we were both teaching and then, you know, this comes to that. We start collaborating on a few things and we sort of said to each other, hmm, maybe we should teach a course. Maybe there's a place 
for physical therapists or healthcare practitioners to uh, learn a little bit about integrating yoga into physical therapy practice, into healthcare practice. And now it's it's been well over six years. I can't even remember how long, but we've been teaching workshops and we developed to, from there into uh, doing a teacher training. And the more you look into the philosophy of yoga, the more uh, we saw that it was a holistic way of approaching treatment. And then cannabis began to come onto the scene. And when you learn a little bit more about cannabis, um, you, you come to know that inside our own bodies, we actually have a chemical that our body makes and the sort of um, the name that it was given at the time that it was discovered in 1992 was anandamide. And that name harkens back to a Buddhist word that means bliss. So within yoga, there's the concept of, of ananda, which is, which is bliss, um, happiness, a, a, a feeling. And then in cannabis, there was this word and it was like, oh, there's something here. Let's really look into this. Let's teach about it. We already are teachers. We already have continuing education, uh, you know, workshops running. People need to know this. People need to understand this because much like people did not understand yoga and, and the benefits in the healthcare world, here's yet another thing that people didn't understand. And so we integrated them and then it didn't make sense why Yogi Anatomy was teaching about cannabis. So we developed PT Cannabis Info for the same educational kinds of purposes to help people you know, distill what's out there to, to really better understand this and apply it obviously for healthcare purposes. Right. And I think where the two things really come together is the fact that it is, it can be considered a complementary approach, you know, so that it's not saying only use cannabis or only use yoga. It's saying, let's use some of the best that we know of yoga practices and incorporate that into health and wellness and recovery. And the same is true as far as cannabis is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually have something in common with you guys. And I don't know if I, if I ever told you about this, but one, the, the one, um, training that, uh, was brought to my attention when I for very first started redefine health education and the, um, actually kind of the thing that made it take off was, um, a Pilates. I had two different programs, a Pilates and a yoga teacher training program that approached me to teach, um, their anatomy, the anatomy portions. Oh, and, okay. um, so I am like a long time yoga practitioner. Um, and I fully believe in the benefits, uh, mm -hmm. you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually of, of that, of that practice. Now I I'm not a regular practitioner as of right now. Uh, but I, I do want to get back to it because it was such a healing. It is such a healing practice for me. And I have been able to incorporate that with a lot of my patients. Um, and I think that like yoga and, uh, you know, different yoga postures and yoga practice in general, just kind of like the, the head to toe approach of exercise and movement is becoming a little bit more mainstream and physical therapy, um, I even myself, I was having like some issues and I went to a, a physical therapist who was a, um, a certified in medical yoga mm -hmm. therapy. And it was 
just, it just kind of blew my mind. Her, her approach was like exactly what I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, so Mm -hmm. I am seeing that yoga is definitely becoming a little bit more mainstream. Um, now I'm curious what, um, how you have seen the evolution of yoga from your standpoint. Um, and, and then contrast that with how cannabis is evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I think is happening as far as yoga being integrated into rehabilitation is that when you break it down into the three components, as you're familiar, if you think about breathing practices, meditation, and then the asana practice, they are all practices that physical therapists and occupational therapists are knowledgeable about, but we may not have had the training to incorporate those three things together. And now as science is revealing to us, the real changes that are occurring in the brain um, and in our physiology by incorporating pranayama or breath, Mm -hmm. as well as meditation, or even just, let's call it mindfulness, into physical activity and into our rehabilitation process, that it becomes much more valuable for the patient because he or she is learning those um, skills that come with finding your edge um, and knowing being able to read your body, knowing and understanding how to respond to stresses and what you can handle and what you can't handle. And isn't that really what we want for our patients, particularly those who have chronic conditions? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Lori. And I would just say, you know, listening to, to Ellen speak, obviously, and understanding what's going on out there, I would say that one of the things we're interested in is providing healthcare practitioners, people who are out there in the world with multiple options. So for sure, there's going to be the person for whom you know, a, a breathing technique or a meditation technique or an asana, a, a physical activity technique is exactly right. But when those things are not right and they're not getting to the thing that the person needs, I do believe that there could be a role for cannabis and that, and that there's, there's no reason why it has to only be one way. And so a person who's struggling with sleep, let's say, you know, and you do the sleep hygiene and you, and you meditate before you sleep and you do a breathing practice or something, well, it might be appropriate to also add in a botanical and that botanical could be in the cannabis family. And so the more we understand these things, the more we normalize all the different options, then as a, then as a, a practitioner, you have an awful lot to offer whichever individual walks in through the door. Mm-hmm. However, whatever that person needs, you have the understanding and the basis to offer them tools. And, and that's sort of the way I view it. Yeah, you, the other piece of it, Katie, is the fact that, you know, so many of us might ask the question, so what do you do to help you, you relax or feel better? Like, what are your practices? And we need to be prepared to hear even sort of remedies from, you know, my, my grandmother always says to do this, or I eat... Uh, chicken soup to take care of myself and always makes me feel better. 
So one of the things in opening up that communication by what are the things that you're doing to help manage your condition, your pain, discomfort, your functioning, whatever, if you ask the question in that way and you're willing to hear what the person has to say and accept it, it might be that they smoke a little weed, you know, that they, you know, they go to a dispensary and gummies because that's what really helps and don't we as rehab rehabilitation professionals want to know that and and need to know that and if we want to know it and we need to know it then we should be educated about it I could not agree more and I think that the way that you said that was just so it was very eloquently done so kudos to you for that and I might even um, kind of, uh, take that and steal that from you. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about, um, I know a little bit of the difference just because the, actually one of the reasons, or one of, uh, I, I actually reached out initially to, um, to Ellen and Lori, because I attended their lecture that they did, um, in Denver at, uh, the APTA combined sections meeting in 2020, um, about, four or five weeks before the world shut down. So I'm really glad that I was able to be there. It was totally a packed room, Denver, perfectly appropriate for this topic to come out um, in an APTA combined sections meeting. Um, so I reached out to them. So I know a little, little bit about it and I remember and I recall, but can you tell everybody what the difference is between CBD? Cause there's all sorts of States um, that maybe medical or recreational marijuana is not legalized per se, but there's, but CBD is okay. So CBD versus THC, like what's the spectrum of cannabis? Okay. Lori start, and then I'll jump in. Okay. So it, it, you know, this is a big story and I'm going to try to give you the reader's digest version. <laughs> cannabis is a plant and in that plant, like every other plant and tree that exists, there are different chemical makeups. There are, there are uh, things that help it smell nice. There are different chemicals. So cannabis, when it is grown, has these cannabinoids. And one of them is THC and one of them is CBD. And then there's a whole host of others. They express themselves within the plant in, in different percentages and different amounts. If we went back to historic times, they were just plants. But in our time, we obviously there's, there's plant husbandry and, and all different kinds of ways of making hybrid plants. So we have the ability to grow a plant that is primarily THC or a plant that is primarily CBD. There's also within the cannabis family, the idea of a hemp plant that is often used or thought of as sort of an industrial plant. So if you go back 20 years, a hemp plant was used for industry. It was used for oils. It was used for different kinds of textiles. But in 2018, there was a legislative change. And now 2019, 2020, 2021, many, many people are growing hemp with the express intent of having it express CBD. And so the primary cannabinoid in those hemp plants are, is CBD. And so plants that are grown, let's say mostly for THC 
that is where you would be talking about words like marijuana. That's where you'd be talking about words like weed or, or uh, psychoactive, wanting to get high, things like that. Mm -hmm. In the CBD range, that could come from a plant that's a hemp-based plant, sort of, or it could also come in different forms. So the CBD will be in probably most cannabis plants because it's a plant. So Elle, do you want to have anything else? Uh, just that prior to the legislation that Lori was talking about, uh, we couldn't grow hemp in the United States. It was being grown in Canada. You could get hemp seeds. You could get hemp, you know, clothing made of hemp, but we couldn't grow hemp here in the United States hmm. because in the war against drugs, hemp got pulled up into that, that marijuana plant. And so everything was banned. And now because you can legally grow hemp, people can legally access CBD. Whereas previously they could only access CBD. You would get CBD through marijuana plants or hemp plants, both of which were illegal. You look a little puzzled. What do you think? I, I am only puzzled because there was just a little bit of a connection issue there. So there was like a pause, okay. but no, I totally, totally understand it. <laughs> yeah. I I'm actually like jotting down a couple of notes because I did not know that about him. I had no oh. idea. I remember the only, my, my recollection of hemp as like somebody who was growing up in, you know, the early two, the nineties and early two thousands was like, everybody had hemp necklaces and like bracelets <laughs> and stuff. Is that like the same fibers? Was that like the fibers from the hemp plant? Yes. Yes. So, okay. so it, actually that's what you're saying is exactly, it, it's so interesting. Hemp was and, and remains a very, very useful plant for all kinds of industrial uses, clothing, yes, you know, wrists and, you know, wrist bracelets and things. But, but when it got swept up, as Ellen said, into this sort of war on drugs, there was actually nothing wrong with it. It could not be grown here, but, but, but it remained in all the rest of the world, a totally useful thing. So if that, if you had a hemp necklace it was not that hemp those fibers were not grown here in the united states legally you it was imported and it was allowed to be imported but it wasn't it allowed fiber. to be grown yeah okay it wasn't allowed to be grown interesting so i i kind of want to switch gears here and talk about um you know we are in the midst of uh, several different pandemics right now i guess we're sort of wrapping up this covid situation hopefully you know hopefully. fingers crossed um it seems at least seems like things are getting back to normal a little bit. And uh, this is me talking in July of 2021 for anybody who listens to this years down the line, which I hope they do. Um, but we're also in an opioid pandemic and we have been for a long stinking time. And um, I, I, I have been shocked in, in a lot of ways by opioids and by the um, the amount of prescriptions that come out for opioids. I think that it is moving in the right direction. However, it, it still is, is there. And I don't think there's enough education when they are prescribed to patients. Um, so I'm curious what you, what you both think about, um, utilizing cannabis as a, an either, um, as, as an alternative to o opiate medication and how you think 
that that could evolve in, um, you know, the physicians or other healthcare professionals prescriptive authority. Yeah. So we won't give our personal opinion because that's beyond our practice act, but we will talk about the science. And that is that there's growing evidence um, in publications um, with studies that have been done to look at the application of cannabis and the process of weaning people down or off of opioids. And there is success in, um, in, with those people who participate in those studies to use cannabis. Uh, Lori, it's Colorado, right? Is, yes. the, is the one and only state where the language about prescribing cannabis has been changed. And I'll explain that. So in, in nearly all instances, physicians don't prescribe cannabis or marijuana. What they do is they verify that a person can have a medical marijuana card. Mm -hmm. So they don't pick the plant, they don't pick the dose, they don't whatever. Except in the case of Colorado, where physicians can actually prescribe cannabis if it's being prescribed instead of opioids for pain. So, so that, that is true. And that's, I think that was uh, because of COVID, I might be off a 2019 or a 2020, um, you know, news piece in Colorado, but even as Ellen said, even in states where uh, medical marijuana is approved, but adult use is approved, when they track sort of the epidemiological um, overlap, you know, looking over things, they see less pain medication purchased. And so even though they can't necessarily give a causality there because of this, that, they can say in the states where this is allowable, we are seeing a reduction in the need and the cost and the purchase of a variety of pain medications, not just opioids. Because let, let's be honest, some people can't use ibuprofen. Some people can't use the NSAIDs for whatever other medical reasons. People can't use certain things or they don't like the side effects, mm -hmm. but the side effects of, of cannabis are more tolerable. So it's, it, you know, it's both. But I, I wanna add a word of caution, however, and that is, there are still institutions in states where there is medical marijuana and adult use allowed, but a patient goes to a pain physician in a particular system, hospital system or whatever, and that physician cannot prescribe cannabis. Yep. And if that person asks for a medical marijuana card, that person is discharged because it's viewed as interfering with the medical management, which is to take opioids. And by the same token, I have had patients who, you know, I, here in New Jersey, have a medical marijuana card and are going to a new doctor for the first time. And to be honest, I often counsel them to just wait and don't reveal that they are potentially using cannabis until the doctor gets to know them because actually there remains a bias. It's changing even in the last year, 
in in the last year i i see it i i you know i hear it i there's an experience of that but i think that sometimes you have to be careful and you know this is maybe not very pc but particularly if it's a woman if it's a woman with chronic pain or something like that like let's develop a relationship with the doctor first before you share all the information because there's that other possibility that they'll say, oh, well, if you're using, you know, marijuana, then you don't need a pain medication or you don't need Xanax or you don't need Valium or whatever the, the circumstances are. And so while it's changing, I don't think it's there yet. Okay. So I'm a little bit mind blown to be honest, because I, now I know that I'm a veteran and, um, you know, there's plenty of people that, um, that receive care at the VA, the, the VA is federally funded. Therefore the VA and anybody in the military or anyone that's receiving care or providing care in the military health system, um, is not allowed to, uh, to prescribe or to, um, uh, I guess, what is, what is the word like authorize certify. A, a, certify a medical marijuana card. Um, or prescribed medical marijuana. So I, I did know about that, but I was unaware that just even the, the notion or bringing it up or asking would, would potentially result in discharge in some places. Um, that, that is crazy. I mean, I, I, that's just, I, I, I'm kind of speechless. Um, but and I'm, but I'm also not, I'm not, I'm not surprised because I do, I, I am um, aware of the, the biases that still exist with certain healthcare professionals about mm -hmm. marijuana and about cannabis in general. And I understand how somebody could be maybe uh, deemed like a, a, a drug user or a drug abuser mm -hmm. if they talk about their use of cannabis. And um, how do you, what would you want to say, or what would you, how would you want to educate those healthcare professionals or what would your word of advice be to patients on, on that note? I, we could go in so many different directions here. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what, what is the, the right thing to say in each instance, but the truth is that since this is such a new experience in healthcare, it, it, you know, the adage of, of start low and go slow is always appropriate. So that, uh, for instance, I, I have a close friend, lives around the corner. Her father is 91. He is significantly struggling. He's had a, he's had, uh, a couple of open heart surgeries. He was a vibrant man. The heart surgeries really um, frightened him. He's got a little anxiety. He's not sleeping so well. He actually is improving. He's physically doing well for a 91-year-old who's had a bunch of different things, a UTI, a this or that, but he can't sleep. And the more nights that he's not sleeping, the more nights he's getting anxious, he's, his blood pressure, everything is being screwed up. So she said to him, she said to the doctor in front of him, how about some cannabis? Could we do that? He doesn't want to take more Xanax. He's afraid of it. And the doctor's like, go for it but make sure that what you give the person, what you give him is high quality CBD or high, you know, tested high quality stuff. So she comes and she, she comes and she asks me, she's terrified. The family is terrified. He's like, I don't want to get high. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And, and I'm like the education of, Hey, 
not everything is going to get you high. There are many ways to do this that can truly help you. The research is behind you that a little bit of THC helps with sleep. There's another cannabinoid, CBN, that has been shown in animals, not in people, but in animals, to help with sleep. Certain things like that. And so, and so I just said to her, look, here are your options, but he's 91. The doctor has said it's okay. Start slow. Start with the lowest amounts and, and observe and see how you go. And that, you know, that's really what you have to say to patients because at 91 years old, think of all the years, it, you know, that he lived with say no to drugs and, you know, all the, all the messaging. And now here he is in a situation where his family and his doctor are saying, yeah, go ahead, go for it, buddy. <laughs> it's like a shock. I think, I think it, it also depends on the, on the patient and uh, what they want to talk about, how much they're interested in, because as a healthcare provider, you could say, listen, that uh, cannabis was classified as a schedule one drug erroneously. That was wrong. There were, there were papers that came out. There was the AMA that came out and said, don't make this illegal. By you making it a schedule one drug, you're saying that it has no medical benefits. And there's thousands of years that demonstrated that cannabis has medical benefits and that the classification was a sham. So with the schedule one uh, classification, um, it scared a lot of people because it was talked about that it was a drug is untrue. And in educating patients, it's good to be able to confidently say that the classification of marijuana as a dangerous drug is incorrect. And in fact, there are perhaps many other drugs, and you may have taken them in the past, that were much more dangerous, if not controlled. And we're, we're talking here about using cannabis in a very controlled, systematic kind of way to help you manage your symptoms that haven't been able to be managed by everything else you've tried. I mean, I think that that is so incredibly reasonable. And I mean, look at the, look at the, the hole that we have dug ourselves into with narcotics. I mean, I mean, it's just, it, it is shocking to me that at some point in time, somebody, physicians, legislators, whatever, deemed that narcotic medication was a-okay for, for pain control, for this and that and that um, cannabis and marijuana was not. Right, well, you also got bamboozled into thinking that people shouldn't have pain. Mm. And there are many places in the world where a narcotic is not prescribed, um, where you're told to take a little Tylenol or a little Advil and relax, take two weeks off from work, have a cup of tea, put your feet up and don't push yourself too hard. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Those people get better without narcotics. Mm -hmm. Here in the United States, it's like, no, I have one day off from work 
and I've got to get back to it, you know, within 48 hours. And therefore, I need to block my pain because I'm still healing. I could just sit, take a break, have a cup of tea, but no, I have to get back to work. And the only way I can do that is to block my pain. And the only way I can do that is with a narcotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's messed up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have in this podcast or in other conversations that I've had, um, there's been a couple of moments where I've been deemed speechless and this is definitely, definitely one of them. (laughs) Um, so what do you think is, has been responsible for, for the, the shift or the shift in healthcare? Do you think that it's primarily, um, consumers that have, that have lobbied for this, or do you think that it's scientists that are finally kind of figuring it out that that there's some value to it what has been responsible for this this shift laurie's the history expert on this whole thing it originated right laura with compassionate use compassionate care yeah compassionate care is really ellen's right this whole thing took off with compassionate care that isn't to say that 30 something years ago there weren't you know, legislators or people who were lobbying and trying to teach and trying to change things. But it wasn't until there were people sitting in front of the legislators and looking them in the eye and saying, I am dying. I, there is nothing out there for me. You pharmaceutical industry, you got nothing for me. And this substance is helping me. And what are you going to do? Are you going to throw me in jail? What are you going to do? And it slowly began to eat away. There, there were people, Charlotte Fiji is one of them, a little girl who had uh, an intractable form of epilepsy. And it, because of her and, and many other people who, who were supporting her, you know, they pushed Colorado, they pushed California to allow people who were struggling to use this and then everything started to snowball. Actually, the research is trying to catch up to the commercial claims. So there are many, many commercial claims of what cannabis and the cannabinoids and the terpenes and all these different substances can do. There's not anywhere near as much, you know, true research. There's, you know, randomized controlled clinical trials, placebo controlled clinical trials. But actually, that's because it's still a Schedule One drug federally. And literally, not until two or three months ago, there is one crop at the University of Mississippi for which the federal government will allow cannabis to be grown. It has been there for a long time, for probably close to 30 years. And, and that is the only, those are the only plants that are allowed to be used for research until right now. Now there are three other uh, sites that are under, that, that they're looking into uh, that will be able to provide researchers with cannabis in order to do the research that we all need. Mm-hmm. So right now it's anecdotal. It's, it, it, you know, they do the, again, they do the epidemiological studies. You know, what are you using? How are you using it? And what are you saying it helps? But the, but the placebo controlled trials that we need, not there yet. Okay. At least not in this country. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it is still federally a schedule one drug. Right. Some of the early work that was done that was allowed with some of these plants 
was, um, was able to get funded because the researchers had to say that they were looking at the negative effects of cannabis. They couldn't say in their application to study the plant and its effects that they were looking for the medical benefits. They had to say that they were looking for the harms of cannabis. And short of you know, selling your firstborn child, researchers had to go through tremendous hoops, tremendous cost, um, years in order for them to be able to even do the most basic kind of research. And researchers have lost their jobs at institutions because they wanted to pursue studying cannabis for its medical benefits. Hmm. There, you know, there are, there are some people that have a schedule one, uh, a license to do research with schedule one drugs, but keep in mind, since they're not legal, how do you get a research subject in, do the intake, uh, evaluate the situation, and then you can't give them the drug. You can't give them marijuana and say, go home and come back tomorrow or the next day or the next day. So, so this Margaret, Dr. Margaret Haney at Columbia, she has a residential lab. You have to go and live there. You have to go and stay in order for her to do uh, research with cannabis over a period of time. Wow. Because you can't send somebody home with it because it's federally illegal. So some of that is actually changing because within certain states where cannabis is legal, if a state funds some research, let's say a university at that state or something or, or private monies, so then they, you can stay within the state and do, and do that research. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, no. It's really, it's really remarkable the, the, the way this all happened. And, and one of the things that we talk about and we have, we've taught is that as far as we know, there is no other medication that is legal that, that uh, is also over the counter in such a way. Like you don't right. get a, you don't get a you don't get a prescription for your cholesterol medication, but then also go to a store and like buy a little if you feel like it. <laughs> that doesn't it doesn't work that way. You know your heart medications, your, yeah. your beta blockers. Nobody nobody puts beta blockers in their coffee or has a little beta blocker because they kind of think maybe it, it would be good for them. Yeah. So we're so we're in a very bizarre circumstance. Uh, in how this, you know, is it a medication? What do we want to call it? How is it being used? Um, and you know, I, it's, I find this so interesting because you're you're exactly right. And I've thought about that myself. Like, if it's if it is medical and it has medical use and it is prescribed, why can why can I why can I here in Illinois just go and buy it? for a little bit higher tax rate. I, it, it, I do, I do wonder about what the evolution of this will look like as more and more research does come out. And let's just say, just for the sake of this podcast, let's just say that the, the research that's going to come out is going to show that cannabis is, is, is awesome. And it does so much better than placebo for pain control, for sleep, for, uh, whatever. Um, then does it become prescribed only? and not over the counter. 
I, I do wonder about the evolution of that. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I don't think it'll go back because if we if we think even about like where extra strength Tylenol came from, right? Whatever, like that, the dosage, Lori can rattle off those dosages off the top of her head. So go ahead and do that. But I view it as it's an over-the-counter drug. And that's one of the reasons why we need to talk to our patients about it. Because when we do an intake, right, we're saying, okay, so, you know, do you take any medication? Somebody comes in with high blood pressure, like, you're like, hmm, did you take any NSAIDs today? Like, what's your pain medication like? When did you take it? Like, is your blood pressure a little bit higher because of the medication that you're taking? If they're doing over-the-counter um, uh, drug application for whatever, cannabis is an over-the-counter drug in many states. Mm-hmm. So, Lori, go ahead. I would, I would venture, I mean, who knows where this is going to go, but, but let's just assume as, as Ellen said, like Tylenol, ibuprofen, they were all prescription drugs at one point. Yeah. Diclofenac too is a diclofenac cream. And it was recently Uh, just made um, over the counter. So, you know, I have for many, many, many years, I'm telling you, it could be 20 years. I have been buying diclofenac cream and sprays in Israel, in Europe, and it was not, and it wasn't here. Then it was a prescription here for a tiny little tube. It cost a lot of money. Now, all of a sudden it's exploded here and it's all over the place and everybody's saying, go buy it. Because why? Because they figured out that it was, it was safe within the confines of the way most people use it. It's safe. And if we come to find out, my guess is if we come to find out that cannabis is safe, it will likely be that medicinal marijuana, the reason why it remains like medically certified is for tax purposes, because you don't pay taxes on your, on your beta blockers, on your cholesterol medication, on your kidney medications. But right now, people do pay taxes on their medical marijuana and certainly on their adult use. Mm-hmm. And here in New Jersey, if things go the way they're supposed to, over the next, I believe it's five years, the tax on medical marijuana is supposed to decline and come to zero. The tax on adult use, recreational use, whatever word you want to call, will remain taxed like other things do. And then we'll have to deal with that situation. Mm-hmm. So I really think it's a commercial financial thing mm-hmm. until the federal government moves and, and makes a change. But, but it's about safety. Why? Why, look, why can you now buy medications over the counter? Simply because they've been deemed safe. Mm-hmm. You know, all the, the, the antihistamines, you know, Claritins and Prilosex and Nexiums, they were prescriptions. Right. So, you know, if the insurance company is required to pay for cannabis as a, as a medication, it will be over the counter very soon. (laughs) They will not want to (laughs) Oh, you're so right on that. (laughs) Um, So we're getting close to, we're getting close to the hour here. Um, I, so there's so many more things that we could talk about and we could easily, oh my gosh, we could probably go for a long time. And I know you both are so knowledgeable in this topic, but, um, I just want to quickly wrap up and say, or see if there's anything else that you, um, want individuals to know. And then, uh, we'll wrap up by, 
um, you guys letting everybody know how people can find you, how they can contact you, uh, your website information. So yeah, wrapping thoughts. I don't really have anything. Lori, do you have something? You know, I think, I think um, my, my, my thought, if somebody were to just come upon this podcast is to, to encourage everyone to just have an open mind, to try to let go of the messages that came to us through society, through our parents, through school, through government, everything. Because when, when we here in, in New Jersey were voting, and it is remarkable that we voted on whether or not something should be able to be used as a medicine or able to be an over-the-counter drug. You did not vote on whether or not you wanted Sudafed in the pharmacy, wow, but yeah. we did. And, but when it was a vote amongst my friends, there were the, the yeses and the noes. And the no's were fear. And they, and they were straight out, they were honest. Uh, you know, I, I've watched my kid, I had a family member who was addicted to, to this. I saw the way, you know, cannabis, you know, impacted X, Y, and Z. And there was no amount of my talking to people to try to explain what, what this, what was going on. And so in the next five years, as people, as this comes through, there'll be the group that's very open-minded and there'll be the group that's more dictated by fear. And so if somebody could be open-minded and allow us to teach, maybe we could have a better handle. There'd be an awful lot of control that a person could have, a healthcare practitioner could have, a family member could have over cannabis if they learned more and let go of what they had heard before. And so that would sort of be my closing wish that something like this this podcast and and any of our teaching is just learn more you'll understand it better you'll have better control and then you know and then the mystery is gone then the mystery is gone that is beautiful so how if people want to contact you how can they get in touch where can they where can they find you so our website is uh, PT Cannabis Info, um, and you can send an email to info at ptcannabisinfo.com. Um, and yeah, yeah. right. And um, both Lori and I will get those emails. And then usually what happens, it's like, do you want to handle this? Do you want to handle this? So we'll, we'll go back and forth. And um, usually it's a joint effort on how we respond to the questions that we get. Um, to PT Cannabis Info, yeah. And, and on Instagram, the PT Cannabis Info on Instagram, we post some stories and we post some, some interesting articles. Again, our, the majority of our interest is in education. So that's mostly what, what we're posting. Yeah, so our, our website will have that as well. It'll have a few little um, snippets, a few little catch little things. I think there's a marijuana map on there. There's um, some other kinds of little sound bites of information that might be helpful for rehab professionals if they just want to learn a little bit more um, about cannabis. Excellent. I think the thing I'm most proud of on our website is the glossary of terms. Right. Because, because there's, you know, you just don't know them. You hear the word, even if I were to say to you cannabinoid 
or, or anandamide is something that I used earlier, like it's all written out there. Where did it come from? How did it get there? And so that for all of us, this is new language. And so, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a good resource. I'm definitely going to take a look at that and make sure that, um, everybody's aware of that. I'll put all of this information in the show notes for tonight. Um, and another thing I want to mention, of course, through redefine health education, um, Ellen and Lori are, have put together an awesome, uh, series, which is going to be scheduled in the near future. Uh, we're in July, 2021. Now it's either going to be sometime in the fall or the spring of next year. Um, and the, the two lectures, the first one is entitled, um, uh, cannabis cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system. So it's an introduction to how those systems work in the body. Um, so more the physiology behind how it interacts with our, with our body and system. And then the, uh, the second portion is, uh, cannabis, what, what healthcare providers need to know about cannabis. All you want to know about help from, from a healthcare provider perspective. So there's tons of healthcare professionals out there. This is really for anybody who just wants to learn a little bit more. Maybe you don't know a whole lot. Maybe you know a lot, but still, um, more healthcare, more healthcare professionals need to become knowledgeable in this. Um, so Ellen and Lori, thank you so much you. for this tonight. This was really, really interesting. And I actually learned a lot in this conversation and there's probably so much more that I need to know, but um, like I said, I will post um, Ellen and Lori's contact information in the show notes. And without further ado, that's a wrap.